You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Sleep changes frequently occur with neurodegenerative disease. What should we look for? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is Dr. Jennifer Lynch, a board-certified neurologist and sleep medicine specialist who practices at the Farrell Duncan Clinic in Springfield, Missouri. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Dr. Lynch, what sleep changes do you see in dementing illness? Actually, what I see is an acceleration of normal age-related sleep problems. Uh, It's just that those same neurons that are dying off with the additional birthday candles are dying off faster. Uh, And so we see increased sleep fragmentation, decreased sleep efficiency, worsening of daytime sleepiness, Uh, And this turnaround ends up causing a lot of problems for the caregivers. It really does make it a 36-hour day, as it's commonly called, for the caregivers if their loved one is up pacing at night, unable to sleep, and sleeping during the daytime. So what are the consequences of poor sleep in this population? Increased risk of falls is certainly one of them. Increased risk of institutionalization, so that If they don't sleep well and their caregiver can't take care of them, they have a lot of problems. Poor sleep will also cause worsening of memory uh, as well. And if you don't sleep, you're grumpier. It makes it much harder for your loved one to put up with not being able to take care of yourself and all of the needs that you might have. One of the things I see in my patients with this is day-night reversal. Can you talk about that? We have a circadian rhythm that tells us when it's day and when it's night. This is controlled by neurons that come from the eye through the retinal hypothalamic tract. And with age, we get vision disturbances and we get die off of these neurons. And the circadian rhythms that tell us day versus night get weaker. So that an older individual that may not have as many cues for day and night to begin with because they're infirm and they're not going outside starts to have more problems. Also, just because of the aging process, sleep becomes much more fragmented. And so they get to the point where they're kind of napping on and off both day and night. It's relatively random. They're usually not sleeping soundly during the day and up all night. It's a mixture all the time. Is there a role then of light in treating these patients? Yes, there really is. We know that this is most responsive to blue light frequency, which is sort of in the middle of the spectrum and very uh, abundant in natural sunlight. Sometimes, especially in people who have a circadian disturbance, uh, such as a phase advance where they go to bed early and wake up too early, that timing of the light is effective and we use light therapy for this as well. Light is one of the most important means to entrain rhythms for us. We also have some drugs that help with that through the melatonin system. So that over-the-counter melatonin sometimes is effective, but we now have a more powerful option that helps program the circadian clock so that we can be awake when we're supposed to and asleep when we're supposed to. Back to treating patients that have a dementing illness and their sleep disorders, other than light or melatonin or romeltian, what else can we do to treat them? I think having a program of activities is very important. Unfortunately, people tend to be less active when they're older, and this ends up contributing to that problem as well. 
so that if you're given a lot of opportunities where you simply sit unstimulated, you tend to nap and doze. That is very important, making sure that the sleep environment is very effective. We know in nursing homes, uh, which is where most of these people with dementia end up, about 50% of the awakenings that they have at night are purely environmental because of loud laundry carts, other people who are living there who wake up in the night and wake them up, blood draws that occur at 4.30 in the morning. All of these things tend to aggravate the nocturnal awakenings. So looking at the environment is very helpful as well. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is Dr. Jennifer Lynch. We are discussing sleep changes in neurodegenerative disease. Now, Dr. Lynch, I, I'm assuming that just sedating the heck out of these people may not be the best approach? No, uh, because these are people who already have an increased incidence of balance problems, whether it's because of arthritis or peripheral neuropathy or vestibular dysfunction. Uh, they're more likely to fall, and they have impaired vision. And you get them up in the middle of the night when the lights aren't very good and when they're sort of groggy, they have a much increased risk of falls at that time. Interestingly enough, while we think of medications like benzodiazepines that will increase balance problems, if we do give a patient something to put them to sleep, if it works, it decreases their risk of hip fracture, whereas if we give them nothing and they're up in the night, they have a much increased risk of falls. I still certainly prefer to give something that's not going to have any negative effects on balance in the middle of the night. Do these medicines affect cognition as well? Yes. Benzodiazepines and anything that works through the GABA system all tend to have some amnestic effects so that they do worsen memory problems. And a lot of people will have a morning hangover type effect, and they do have impairment in learning related to those medicines. Well, another common problem we see is the Parkinson patient that has a sleep problem. What can you tell us about this? There is one real specific reason why we probably have problems in Parkinson's disease. This is because of the pathways themselves that are specifically disturbed. One that is affected early is the pontine nucleus. Uh, it's an ascending pathway that uses acetylcholine and ascends to the thalamus. It mediates REM sleep. We have specific REM sleep problems in Parkinson's. And then these same neurons have descending pathways that mediate our motor control. These are impaired so that we have problems with REM behavior disorder and nocturnal dystonia related to Parkinson's. Other problems that exist in Parkinson's disease are related to the ventral tegmental area, another brainstem pathway. This one is monoaminergic or dopamine specifically that projects to the basal forebrain, to the front of the brain that helps maintain alertness. With degeneration of these pathways, we see a lot of problems with excessive daytime somnolence. Those are the mechanisms of why we have problems with Parkinson's disease. Lots of problems in Parkinson's will cause sleep problems. The motor symptoms of Parkinson's are significant. Tremor, while it does disappear in sleep in most people, it doesn't disappear until you fall asleep. So it does tend to keep people awake. People who try not to over-medicate themselves at nighttime might even have off symptoms or rigidity and dystonia that can cause problems with 
poor sleep at night. Depression is markedly increased in the Parkinson's population. Dementia is also markedly increased in the Parkinson's population. The medications as well as the disease state cause problems with urinary incontinence and urinary frequency so that they're up several times during the night. The medications and the disease itself cause psychosis and hallucinations that impair sleep. There's a lot of pain related to the tremor and dystonia. And then there's a worsening of the circadian cycle disruptions that we see with aging. And uh, REM sleep behavior disorder that is not specifically associated with Parkinson's disease because other things will cause it. But Parkinson's is probably the most common cause of RBD. Let's talk about RBD for a minute. I think a lot of physicians aren't aware of it, and it's really fascinating. REM sleep itself is just a fascinating area. In Parkinson's disease, these pedunculopontine nuclei projections that help control REM sleep degenerate. This makes it difficult for us to paralyze our bodies during sleep so that we don't act out our dreams. With this loss of the descending inhibition, we can act out our dreams. That could be scary. It is scary. I so often have seen a lovely, cute older couple uh, with a lady with a black eye and, and a gentleman with a tremor, and she goes, I know he didn't mean it, but he's had a dream in his sleep that is violent, and he may have struck or swung out. I've seen people who have gotten head injuries, fallen out of bed. Unfortunately, REM behavior disorder is sort of hard to treat. We don't have a lot of effective therapies, so a lot of times we direct the therapy towards preventing injury so that we go back to sleeping in separate beds or we get lamps and different things off the bedside stand and install wall sconces. We do use some medications that help things that simply decrease the number of arousals, such as clonazepam help. There are a couple of case reports of melatonin helping, and there are also some reports that dopamine to improve treatment of the Parkinson's disease itself may help a little bit. Let's switch gears a minute. How about sleep changes in multiple sclerosis patients? The primary problem in multiple sclerosis is central nervous system demyelination and people get problems with weakness as well as spasticity. So they get a lot of motor tone changes. There are a lot of things that help keep us breathing during the night, but really one of the most important, speaking as a neurologist, of course, is our motor tone that controls the patency of our upper airway. We know that from a recent study, a lot of people with multiple sclerosis and excessive sleepiness have sleep apnea. Not really something that we would have thought of, but these motor tone issues certainly make a lot of sense that that would cause that. How about other neurodegenerative diseases, perhaps maybe Huntington's? Well, Huntington's is associated with increased daytime somnolence, and the worse the bradykinesia, the worse the excessive sleepiness. This is also occurring in the basal ganglia, so it is sort of like Parkinson's, but different. The medications that the patients are taking is likely to be a cause of this as well. Most patients with Huntington's are on some sort of antidepressant, and a lot of them are on some sort of antipsychotic medication. These are probably the main causes in Huntington's disease. You mentioned earlier, I believe you called it nocturnal dystonia. 
What is that? Well, dystonia is really just excessive stiffness in a muscle or a limb. And in Parkinson's disease, we see this a lot because when people are not what we call on, when they're not having associated with the tremor is an increase in the muscle tone. The stiffness at night makes it very hard to move around in bed so that if you're stuck in one position for too long, you start to get pain and you wake up. Uh, That alone is a cause of poor sleep in the Parkinson's patient. I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Jennifer Lynch. We have been discussing sleep changes in neurodegenerative disease. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. 